Well, I started with guitar. Uh, mm-hmm. my, my older brother bought a guitar uh, when I was 12. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he hid it under the bed. <laughs> and I, I would, like, sneak it out and uh, play with it when he's gone. Is it an acoustic uh, so, or what kind of guitar? Uh, an electric, like a, like a Strat. Uh, right. He, he bought an electric guitar, an amp and all that stuff and left it in the uh, room. And I would go in there and play it uh, all day. And then uh, I, I didn't have any teachers or anything like that. So I pretty much had to figure things out on my own. So mm-hmm. I just started kind of like fiddling around with it. And then, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And uh, I got a hold of... Uh, Ozzy Osbourne's uh, Blizzard of Oz album. Yeah, man. Yeah, so I, I got so hooked on that album. I, I wanted to learn those songs like just just by ear, you know, just by playing it like over and over. So I would put a cassette tape in a you know a, a stereo deck and just play it over and over and try you know try to nail those uh, parts. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much how I learned guitar. There's something in that, isn't there, that when there wasn't tab and all this online stuff that you had to get it and you would sometimes make mistakes, but you're, try- you're using your ears, I guess, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, so I was self-taught. So, I, you know, I, I learned a lot of things the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like I didn't I didn't have alternate picking and all that stuff, uh, which eventually I had to relearn everything mm. down the road because uh, like uh, basically I just kind of figured things out on my own. and I, I, I played it the way I heard it in my ear. Right. And even that, uh, I think playing by ear, you know, as you develop that, like you realize you were playing that thing wrong the first time too, <laughs> you know, because you get to hear more things after you, know, you do it for a while, right? So I had to sort of relearn everything uh, years down the road. Creates individuality, though, I think, the, the mistakes and the, the missteps. You said you were listening to, to Blizzard of Oz. And what other records were you going through at the time as you are growing uh, up? Yeah, so my uh, my first cassette that I ever bought was uh, Def Leppard, Pyro, Pyromania, and Quiet Riot, Metal Health. Uh, those two were like my first two cassettes that I purchased. And then uh, after that, I just got hooked on rock music uh, throughout the 80s, early That's 80s. British rock as well. Where were you at the time? when you Were you in the States when you were listening yeah. to this? Yeah. yeah, I was in California. So I was in Anaheim, California. So. Yeah. What's interesting about Anaheim was that uh, there's a lot of musicians that came out of there. Uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with Jeff Buckley. Absolutely, um, yeah. So, so Jeff Buckley went to my high school. So wow. when I was in when I was in sixth grade, he'd come over uh, to our school and perform with his jazz ensemble. Mm. And uh, and with Gwen Stefani and No Doubt went to our high school. So there's like this little music scene at my in Anaheim, uh, yeah. early '80s. It was very. Uh, kind of thriving at the time and i really got hooked on that whole scene um kind of growing up uh i actually did an interview for uh, jeff buckley's uh, official website about that because mm. he had such a huge influence on me uh, growing up because you know when i saw him play it just literally changed my life like you know as a, at, well, i was like in sixth grade when i saw him play for the first time so what was that like? What was it about him? What was it that moved? Was it the voice? Was it the just the emotion? What What was it? Well, that... He wasn't. He wasn't singing at the time. He was just uh, playing jazz guitar with the jazz ensemble. But okay. like he was playing stuff that was like just beyond anything that I could even imagine at the time. Like he was just you know like like it was the first time I actually heard a real guitar player play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Other, other than my self-taught self, right? So that was uh life-changing for me so um i really got into guitar even further after i saw him and then uh so i, I would just be basically like when i come home at school at like 2 30 i would mm. pull out my brother's guitar and play it till like 10 p.m yeah. like almost almost every day and uh, my parents would kind of like peep their head in the door and see me just sweating in there just just trying to <laughs> nail these parts from like ozzy osbourne van halen and all those albums you know was there, I mean, hearing you say that you come home from school at 2.30 and then play guitar for like eight hours, in, sometimes in Korea that's not possible. It's like education, hagwon, study, things like that. Were your sure. parents really supportive of that? And uh, You know, I mean, like as immigrant parents, you know, uh, like they were working. So mm-hmm. they were out in the morning. They came home after midnight. So like we really didn't have any sort of curfews or any type of... Uh, like like a regiment you know what i mean at Mm -hmm. home yeah so we were pretty much free to do whatever we want uh but like we sort of i don't know we all sort of stayed 
within our boundaries. Like we didn't go too crazy, but mm. like it was, it was a great opportunity for me to kind of like dabble with music uh, in my room. I think that's really interesting that you have these experiences early on, such as seeing Jeff Buckley and other musicians that re that sort of show you the, the really high standards that can be achieved, that inspire you and push you towards not just, because it's easy to think you're great when you're in your bedroom, but when you <laughs> yeah. see masters doing it, then it raises the bar almost, doesn't it? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, and seeing it in person, uh, yeah. it's just, it's just life-changing. Yeah. Before we move on, I was speaking to some of my friends. You mentioned Gwen Stefani. I was speaking to some of my friends about No Doubt. We were having a bit of a debate. And I think that mm -hmm. their, their, their early stuff was super tight. I think it was musically very interesting. Lots of changes in structure and time things. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a weird question. But any any thoughts on No Doubt? No Doubt? Well, uh, you know, I mean, they're a ska band to yeah. begin with, right? Yeah. So I think a lot of people forget about that. That's the no uh, doubt I'm talking about. Yeah, that kind yeah, of so, stuff. Yeah, so in that re uh, you know, respect, they're very tight and, you know, it's just they got that ska sound. But, mm. like, as soon as start, they started kind of, like, dabbling with pop music and, you know, their um, – what's, like, what's the big breakout single? Uh, was it don't, Hello don't... Good or something was one of the big pop ones, wasn't it? The oh, what did, oh my god, my brain is just fried. <laughs> but uh, anyways, yeah. So and then, and then now, Gwen Stefani is you know kind of doing her own thing, and uh, it's now she's very pop. Like yeah, you know she's doing stuff like with Pharrell and all those other things. So I think it's cool. I think it's uh kind of like broadening her horizon. You know, like like Kiskawa was for the most part was a very Huntington Beach type of thing out here mm -hmm. in California. Uh, yeah. So so you know like no doubt was like this underground band that used to perform in Huntington beach, like mm -hmm. locally here in orange County. And, um, you know, they used to perform at like our school picnics and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> and next thing I know, they're like humongous. Right. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really cool. And, and not only them, but just like my junior high school was very interesting because as soon as I got to junior high school, like all the cliques were separated by bands. Like, mm -hmm. like everybody had bands, you know, yeah. like, I don't know if you've seen like movies, like, you know, uh, about those kind of things, like where like you're at school and like, Hey man, are you in a band? You know, <laughs> I remember airheads and things like that as growing up those movies. Yeah. 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 So it was very much like that. So like, you want to be a cool guy, you have to be in a, uh, in a band. Right. So, yeah. uh, I, I actually started, I mean, I started with guitar, but I didn't play guitar in a band for, I mean, actually never actually. I started out playing bass mm. because uh, I wasn't very good at the guitar at the time. So uh, like bass was kind of easier for me, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then, then I picked up drums and I was playing drums in a band for about five years. And uh, what kind of music were you playing when you'd playing drums? Uh, like rock, like, like yeah. punk rock. <laughs> what was the band called? Can you remember? Channel one. That's uh, not bad. Channel one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we used to perform at all different places and things like that. And then, uh, then like, you know, we had a piano at home too. And then um, I remember uh, just kind of like, uh, like driving like home from school. And I heard David Foster's uh, St. Elmo's Fire theme mm -hmm. yeah. on the radio. And I was like, oh my God, like, what is this? This is like the most beautiful piece of music I ever heard. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I, I, I want to learn this on the piano. So I got, I, you know, I opened up the piano and then uh, again, like, uh, I, I didn't have any lessons or anything like that. So I was mm. trying, to, trying to figure it out and uh, kind of like it, everything kind of evolved from there. So I started playing like at least one instrument in every like like in a band situation at one time or another. Right. So eventually I put all those skills to work and kind of arranged the entire songs myself, you know, with the drum parts, because like I knew how the how the drum parts needed to go and the mm -hmm. bass, et cetera. So I would start arranging music at home. I guess it's really important that not only you had those experience of seeing people and being around music, but that you saw you also had pianos and guitars in your house that you could pick up. You know, it wasn't something yeah. outside external, but it was right there for you. Yeah, because what's funny is that my siblings all started instruments, you know, way before I did, mm. and they all neglected it. Like, uh, you know, my sister played for about, I think, a year and a half, two years, and then she quit piano. So it was just sitting in our living room for years. Uh, nobody opened it, you know, and uh, it was just that one day when I heard that song, I'm like, oh, I want to, I want, I want to check this out, right? So I started like kind of fiddling with the piano at home and 
kind of figured things out on my own. Like, yeah, I don't know how that happened. Uh, mm -hmm. Hindsight, but yeah. Deeply impressive. It's a musical gift. Not just a gift, because that sounds like there's no hard work and perseverance, and <laughs> because that's what it was all about a lot of the time. We we kind of mentioned. I think that no doubt song that you're thinking of is maybe "Don't Speak." Don't really, speak. Yeah. Yeah. There you yeah. Go. Oh my God. Yeah. Tragic Kingdom. <laughs> really yes. different from what they did before. But yeah. you're saying that you you grew up like listening to Def Leppard, Ozzy Osbourne, and then. The, the other stuff. Van Halen, yeah. Van Halen, yeah. And then you go into solid. And yeah. now that transition, you, you do your channel one as well before, but for yeah. those that don't know solid, could you explain what solid is like as it's starting? Okay, so solid is, well, it was a band that I was in in the early mm. 90s in Korea. And we were the first Korean Americans to actually go back to our motherland to perform. And uh, we were like, the first successful artist that came from abroad. Mm -hmm. So uh, we were like three Korean American guys that went out there. And uh, like, so at the time there was maybe like a handful of people, like less than five people who sold over a million records in mm -hmm. Korea. And we like, we surpassed that like uh, as, as I guess uh, uh, for the lack of better, we're like foreigners. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I've been speaking to people all week and your name still carries so much resonance throughout the country, right? Even people not interested in music, they're all like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. So when you start with Solid, you're making like, let's say the first album, Give Me a Chance. Yeah. Are you are you conscious of making something that's going to work in Korea <clears throat> rather than the States? You like, And if so, what differences <laughs> would there be? You know, actually, that process didn't start until our second album. Uh, okay. So the fir our, our first album right. was literally like I, I've never went back to Korea since I moved here as a kid. And, right. you know, and it was kind of like my first thing to uh, send out to Korea. Right. So, yeah, what happened was I had I had a little four track recorder in my room that I had a bunch of demos in mm -hmm. uh, and and like I didn't create anything new, really. I just kind of gathered a bunch of these demos that I had and I just kind of sent it over to Korea and that became the first album. So it was it was made before I even set foot in Korea. So I, I had no clue how I was supposed to approach it or, mm. you know, we didn't really like plan things or anything like that. So the first one was really like pretty much done on the fly, really. Um, and then it wasn't until the second album. And, and of course, the first album really didn't see the light of day. Right. Yeah. So, so that was... Uh, for for obvious reasons and then uh so when when uh, it came time for the second album i actually went out to korea and spent a lot of time there and um i got to connect with like local musicians and i heard you know kind of in my own way kind of scope out the scene right and then uh tell so us like, about the scene like your impression of the scene coming from huntington beach or anaheim then you go to korea what's the scene like in the 90s there 90s uh it was literally like we zapped in from the future <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like like we you know we came to korea with baggy pants you know yeah. like we were like so into hip-hop at the time and mm -hmm. uh korea like it was pretty much non-existent at the time except like maybe in itaewon and places like that mm. um so like when we first got to korea like uh like calves wouldn't pick us up because we looked funny like we stood out like sore thumb so uh, you know, like like I got introduced to the whole uh, music scene in Korea through my manager uh, that we met. And mm -hmm. uh, he introduced us to like Shin Seung-hoon, King Gummo and all these like legends. Right. At yeah. the time. So like I got to sort of see all them kind of work and construct their songs and things like that. And I was like, oh, I took a lot of that in um, and I tried to implement that to uh, our music. And at the time, you know, like. People are like, hey, how, how did you start with rock and end up doing R&B music, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just, uh, for me, it's just, uh, I think a lot of uh, people transition that way, actually. Because, uh, like, we just kind of follow whatever was trendy at the time, I think, right? So in the 80s, like, rock was, like, sort of on dominating the charts, mm -hmm. right? The early, in the early 80s. And then, uh, like, towards the end of the 80s, like, a lot of R&B music with Bobby Brown and, you mm -hmm. know, Teddy Riley, all those people started coming out and, that whole movement came in and like uh i i sort of really like took in hip-hop and i and i embraced it so i started working with a lot of hip-hop acts in like the late 80s early 90s locally here in la mm -hmm. and um so that was kind of like my transition into i guess like different genre and like more more what i thought was more pop right 
Yeah. Uh, and so we were just trying to introduce that to Korea. So, um, you know, uh, you know, back then, like New Edition, uh, Boys to Men, mm-hmm. see all those bands were coming out and they were they were the ones in the top 10, you know. Yeah. So uh, naturally, that's just what we gravitated towards. When you did, and I completely agree, like I grew up and I had Bobby Brown cassettes and things like that, later MC Hammer and Chris Cross. When you come to Korea and you said it's like you're from the future, right? So yeah, what was what was it in Korea? Did it just sound like old 80s stuff or was there any like unique things that you, you heard in the Korean music and you're like, that's a bit oh. different. That's, that's, yeah. Yeah, so there's like this kind of common denominator that I felt like was in every song that I heard out here uh, yeah. in Korea. And that was like, like what we describe uh, best as bong. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Right. So you yeah. know what that is. Uh, so and, and, you know, trying to explain that to a non-Korean, like living outside, it's just like very hard to do. And, and I guess the best way to explain that is like Korean blues, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I recently did some other interviews when I, where they asked me about that and and uh, I mentioned this term, and they're like, "Wow, what is that?" And you know, there, uh, there's like a very uh, big focus on the melody side of music in yes. Korea and lyrics uh, versus the US where it was more like beat driven. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do was kind of fuse the two, right? Whoops, Ma- sorry. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so I wanted to fuse the rhythm section with uh, a hint of Korean melody in there. Uh, not too much though, to a point where it becomes like very localized. Right. We want to sort of uh, retain our own sort of, I guess, Western sound. So uh, that's what, you know, Solid's second album became. And our song was uh, called Iba Me Kutu Japko. Uh, yep. It was a ballad. And that sort of uh, kind of was an example of that, like a fusion of East and West. Um, our version of it, at least. It, when you talk about the rhythms, because there is a big focus in on melody in Korean music. Rhythms, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but if you get like a large group of Korean people together listening to music, they'll often start clapping on the one and the three beat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but in the West, people clap on the two and the four. I've seen clips of like piano players like at a bar so that the Korean crowd is then clapping on the two and the four. <laughs> but I, I find that fascinating that they will all naturally clap on the one and three. Like there's this different culture thing going on with rhythm. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I was taught in grade school. Uh, you know, in the in the playgrounds, whatever. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely see that too. But yeah. yeah when you so you just mentioned like the the big singles from holding the eight ball your second album like mm-hmm. this 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 crushes it in korea like you become super successful it's a big breakthrough why does it resonate like why does it achieve so much success is it because you're writing better songs than you did on the first one is it because korea had evolved or why did that one hit uh i think it was a combination of all of that um like so, first thing was when we went out there with our first album. Our, yeah. our title track was a, a dance track, uh, kind of a hip hop kind of dance track. Mm. And at the time, there was a uh, there was a ban of dance music in Korea um, on TV. So, mm-hmm. like, because there were so many dance groups that came out in the late '80s, early '90s, uh, TV stations banned it. So, like, uh, we couldn't really get on TV at all because, like, we we had a dance song, right? So. Uh, that that band sort of continued on to our second album. So when that's why our first single from our second album happened to be a ballad. Mm. Um, originally, I think we were planning on doing another upbeat song, but uh, like that was just how the market was at the time. But not only that, I mean, like uh, like I said, like what I picked up in Korea while I was there from other producers and other songwriters and seeing that mm. really kind of uh, gave me a whole new spin on how to make the uh, the record. So. Uh, our, if, I, I don't know if you heard our first album, but if you go back and listen to our first album, it's like night and day. It's like, a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's like no melody at all in our first album. It's just a bunch of beats and just we're just kind of like, I guess, uh, for the lack of better, we're like jamming on it, like just rapping and kind of kind of ad-libbing on it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, second album was like, there's a lot more structure in the songs and there were actually like, uh, like, you know, uh, I remember uh, my older brother, you know, who was actually doing music at the time, too. And he told me, like, hey, if you can't play your song with a high school band, uh, it's not a good song. 
Fair enough. Yeah. Right? Like a, yeah. like, a mar- like a marching band, right? Like yeah. if a marching band plays your song and nobody recognizes it, that means the melody sucks, right? <laughs> right? So uh, I think uh, we, we, actually, we put like a lot of emphasis on melody and um, things like that. And also like it was the first time where Korean uh, people saw Korean Americans on TV. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was like openly uh, uh, Korean American. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so that was very ref- uh, refreshing and new to uh, the audience because, you know, like our, our our lead singer had like a pretty strong accent when he sang. Mm-hmm. And that became sort of a novelty as well. And then kind of it became a thing. And uh, it wasn't it wasn't until like like I, I knew the song was kind of getting some traction, but like i think it was after this one show that we did uh a tv show hmm. in korea called uh uh oh my god what's the title <laughs> anyways uh so, so there's this variety show where we went to hong kong okay. uh, and uh we did this whole series of uh shows where we were in hong kong like kind of like it, just as tourists and just walking around and meeting people and things like that and after that show went on air uh yeah we were just everywhere like uh, on tv so um that really changed the kind of the trajectory do you think it helped being korean american now i can't speak for your experiences so i'm curious i'll try to do it respectfully Mm -hmm. but being korean american it's like you're you're not completely for there's elements of closeness you know multiculturalism Sure. It's a different conversation in South Korea than it is in other parts of the world, naturally. But mm-hmm. what was that like being sort of a Korean-American? Yeah, I mean, uh, I explain it best by saying it's kind of like like being caught between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like yeah. you're, you're too Asian for America and you're too American for Asia. Right? So <laughs> it's like this, uh, you know, like there's huge Asia and huge America and there's, there's a little cross section called Asian-Americans, right? Yeah. So that's where uh, we belonged, you know, but uh, like one thing that the people couldn't take away was our, I guess, you know, all those experiences that I had growing up. I mean, just just the fact that you could hop in a car and just turn on the radio and hear like current music on the radio. Mm. That's a big deal. Like, you know, because that's something that you don't really get in Korea. Right. So you you may get like, you know, maybe an hour of pop music throughout the day on, on a specific radio station, but it's for the most part, like talk shows and things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so like here, like you have like radio stations by the genre, yeah. you know, and just being, just having that and just being around school, public schools where music was so prominent and the culture, you know, mm-hmm. of all that stuff. I mean, you know, we grew up like experiencing, uh, you know, just like everything from uh, music to gang violence, like everything that we, we grew up with uh, mm-hmm. sort of made us very unique. Um, in uh, the Korean people's eyes, right? I Yeah, I agree, because I sometimes look at university campuses where I work, and you mentioned it before, but I don't see, like, groups of punks or goths or the, the rave heads or things like that. Yeah. It's not as visible. Of course, there are elements of it, absolutely, and they're growing, but it's music has not been as big a, an identifier, I don't think, here. Yeah, I think um, music's become more like a curriculum, like... Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, like you'll see a guy playing guitar and just ripping on the guitar. And then you see the video. He just looks like a, a like a guy studying the library. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like and, and there's no body movements. He's not feeling anything in his face. Like there's nothing going on. Mm. And every time I see that, I'm like, wow, this, these guys are amazing players. Like what's going on here? Right? <laughs> I'm trying to like I've been trying to figure that out because. Like here in the U.S., it's all it's all about like uh, people who are really feeling the culture and the music aspect of it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, we've got hundreds of kids graduating from music schools in Korea that are like absolutely proficient in music. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, if you tell them to create something original or something like that, they're completely lost. Right. Yeah. Uh, they could yeah. do cover songs all day long. Uh, you know, they could play songs from like every genre. But like uh, the minute you have them create something. Or, you know, and I think a lot has to do with culture where mm. like differences are celebrated here in the U.S., uh, whereas Korea, like, you know, if you're a nail sticking out, like they'll hammer you back in. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So there's this kind of uh, uniform kind of I, and I guess that's part of being in a, uh, like a very homogenous country. Right. So. Yeah. But uh, like 
so like I think that's what a lot of uh, entertainment companies now are looking for, like Asian Americans, because they bring something else to the table that uh, local kids like often don't. Yeah, right? the cr yeah. creativity, the ideas, the spark sometimes. Yeah. And also, I guess the free time, that's one of the things I notice in Korea, like having the free time to sit around and play guitar or do your music for yeah. eight, ten hours a day. That's important. Yeah. yeah. Um, you looking through your stuff, you worked with uh, Kim Hyung Sok. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Like legendary songwriter producer here in yeah. Korea. What was can you tell us a little bit about that experience? So what was he like to work with? What kind of person was he? What were you doing <laughs> with him? He's a. I mean, he's an interesting guy. Uh, so, so when I first went out to Korea, like my manager's like, "Hey, you need to kind of localize your sound, you know." And there's a there's a guy you need to meet. Mm. You know, his name's Kim Young Suk. He's a like a mega producer in Korea. Uh, and you know, uh, me being like 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 from the states and like we were just very very hungry to like like do music, right? So, yeah. I was willing to do you know whatever it took. So so I went over. I remember going over to his apartment, and he said, I think he said he was gonna be there at like eight p.m. Mm. So I got there and then of course he's not there. So uh, I'm sitting in front of his door in mm. the hallway of his apartment. Uh I think for about 3 hours. Wow. And then and then he finally showed up and then so uh, so it's like oh cool cool. So we went in the apartment. Uh we worked on the song uh for about like 10 20 minutes and then then he's like hey Jay like I'm really really tired right now. Mm. Like I'm going to take a quick nap. Can you wake me up in an hour, right? Mhm. Mm and and then so he just fell asleep on the on the sofa and then uh and me being this innocent kid you know just kind of like i didn't have the uh, the guts to wake him up you know sure. <laughs> right so so i just i just sat next to him till about five in the morning and and, and and he woke up and he's like hey what time is it and i'm like it's five in the morning he's like oh my god how come you didn't wake me up uh, yeah. i didn't want to wake you up you know uh then he's like, oh, my God. So he woke up and we we uh, so he helped me with Ivan uh, Kutuzako, like kind of to, you know, kind of give it the like the Korean feel to that song. Right. Mm. So but that's like that's my first meeting with him uh, in Korea. Amazing. So like, you know, I got to learn a lot and not only uh, not only just about music, but just like being able to, um, I guess, like create so many songs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And so. For me, he was sort of like the benchmark of what I wanted to like do as a producer. Like, like I wanted to be a dedicated producer, right? Um, and that's what I've actually uh, was doing before I was in the group Solid. So I was producing music, and I wanted to do it at like that level where I could be working with like multiple artists and just kind of be like on call for every artist, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think just to just for perhaps some listeners, what is a producer? Because we can get the idea of a songwriter, a singer, or a dancer, but just to just to sort of flesh it out, Jay, when you when yeah. you say that a, a producer, what do you mean by that? What's the actual like work okay. involved? Mm. Okay, so oh, there's there's multiple uh, I guess definitions of what a producer is. I, like like the most mm. basic uh, I guess like U.S. Standard of what a producer is is the guy who just basically oversees everything. So like he'll hire the comp a composer, he'll hire the lyricist, he'll hire the musicians and book the studio and kind of make it all put it all together, right? Mm -hmm. Right. But uh, in in the the circle that I met, uh, producer meant you did everything, <laughs> <laughs> right. right? Except uh, I mean, most people would hire musicians, but like in my case i i just played my own stuff because uh like i i played all the instruments myself so like mm. uh so i ended up uh i mean like so uh producing is actually part of what we do uh mm -hmm. so like we're also arrangers and composers and you know like recording engineers and everything like uh like all all in all like a one-stop shop kind of deal now right mm -hmm. but uh just the term producer itself just means like you're a, a kind of like an overseer of all things. So, um, yeah, and it's great. Some producers just manage other producers like you, perhaps bring the musical knowledge and the ability to perform those stuff. You said from Kim Hyung Suk, like, apart from his sleeping habits, you get the inspiration to like write lots or produce lots, be prolific. Yeah. Did just, you just, uh, I mean, he's, he's just relentless, you know, like just mm. constantly. You know, we'll be out drinking like till morning and like, you know, he'll be drunk and he's writing something out of a piece of napkin. Right. Mm, and you're right. like, what are you doing? And he's like, Dude, I'm writing the score for the recording session tomorrow <laughs> for, for the for the strings. And you're like, are you serious? And then, uh, you know, next day you go to the studio and he's got full strings going. 
you know uh Amazing. so so like I, I got to meet these kind of like uh like real life avenger kind of guys right like mm. like superheroes like uh people with superpowers and um you know as a young kid that had a huge impact on me you know apart from the ethic did you get anything musically from them like ways to approach songs or arrangements mixes things like that uh I, definitely i think melodically um like i learned to kind of adapt that korean style uh so you know like there's a lot of movement in the melody um mm -hmm. and uh you know i remember uh shin sung hoon who's like a legendary mm -hmm. singer and, and songwriter uh and he used to tell me like that you know like the main difference between korean songs and american songs is that like korean songs are so intricate like like the chords mm -hmm. uh, are so intricate that like the melodies locked into the chords so there's not much room for ad-libbing or you know kind of improvisation right. uh, whereas the u.s it's just kind of like kind of a common chord progression and you could make like a million different melodies off of these chords right so that was one of the main differences so um and so if you, you know if you listen to his music or Kim Young-suk's music or any of this Korean ballad stuff yeah for I mean for like and it's been pretty much the same same kind of construction like since 20 30 years ago uh even today like uh the melodic structure and uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of similarities throughout but um there's like um a lot of melody movements mm. um the lyrical content is very important um and you know and sometimes like those mel melody content are very similar throughout too like you heard like a lot of these melodies playing over and over in these yeah like similar ballads right um but they they do it because it works right exactly yeah it resonates yeah. And, and that's yeah. what they're listening for that thing mm -hmm. um like when when solid are doing it big like in the mid 90s um like at the same time in south korea you have sotaji and, and they're doing their things mm -hmm. with nan arayo and come back home yeah. when i like do k-pop courses at the universities and i show like some early sotaji performances and videos a lot of a lot of the kids are like wow man that's that's lit that's really good like because they didn't expect mm -hmm. it what was your take on sotaji's like arrival impact or what they were doing at the time oh well i mean you know like obviously like they came with something very innovative, uh, very uh, how do you say like 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 a, a huge milestone. Like yeah, they pretty much changed the whole uh, soundscape of K-pop. You know, from the old ballads and trot music to like basically hip hop and you know electronic music, right? Mm. So uh, and you know when we came in, we sort of like added on like uh, R&B and other genres. But like he was the one to really kind of crack the door open for even like us, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't think people would have been uh, as accepting of R&B music uh, had it not been Sateji. Yeah, I agree with that because when I listen to it and the early stuff, and it does sound like sort of Western pop or even Cypress Hill at times, and you know, like yeah. a, almost a direct copy, right? Yeah. But, so yeah, mm. I mean, Sateji was like uh, kind of like he's a world traveler, you know. So like he yeah. goes to Japan, U.S., and like. At the time, he was the one that was sort of introducing what was going around the world to Korea because Korea was so closed off, really, mm -hmm. right? Um, everything was domestic here uh, in Korea. So, like, like he was the one to first, like, let the people know what's going on outside of Korea. Mm -hmm. Like, so, like, I think his second album, you know, had a lot of influences from Japan, you know, with groups like Zoo and Deer mm -hmm. and all those, like, uh, dance groups out in Japan where... Uh, in the early 90s, there was a huge, huge, uh, like, influx of dance culture in Japan, mm -hmm. in Osaka, right? So, like, he sort of introduced that to Korea, you know? Like, so you had these Korean guys wearing dreadlocks and all this stuff, right? <laughs> in the early 90s, yeah. wearing baggy pants and all that stuff, because that all came from Japan, which also came from New York, Yeah. right? So Japan was sort of, like, going to New York to figure this stuff out. So there's a, uh, there's a crew called the Mop Top Crew, in in new york mm. uh you know uh, like these jamaican guys and uh like you know japan was like like basically mimicking a lot of that stuff mm -hmm. right and, and and you know it's the same dancers that was in like the mariah carey videos back in the day okay so like mop top crew, crew was really big and then uh japan was really on that and then like korea took on like kind of like it just kind of all kind of trickled down to korea you know, so it, 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 in one way, it's like all Western culture, really. Um, and it mm. just sort of trickled down 
to people who had access to it. And I guess a lot of not a people not a lot of people did have access to it because a lot of Japanese products in Korea in the time are banned, right? They have this sort oh, yeah. of cultural cultural thing. So I think, yeah, like groups like Solid uh, and Sodogy do a really big thing of it's. I kind of see it as like being punk or hip hop, this arrival of this new thing, because we could look at it and go, it's not very original. It's it's from other places. But in Korea, it would have been like really mind blowing to see something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like it's like opening your uh, I mean, it's like it's like giving a kid a candy for the first time. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, people are eating it up. I mean. You know, Sateji, uh, not only not only with that, but I mean, his the way he uh, sort of planned out his career and how he, uh, you know, like uh, just kind of promoted his brand and things like that was very groundbreaking. Mm. Um, I don't think anybody's actually done it to that level. And, you know, I know I know like there's a lot of big K-pop bands right now, but like in Korea at the time, there's only like three TV stations. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Like when you dominate all three, like you cover the entire nation overnight and they right. just, uh, I, I don't think people really understand how big they were at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause you're talking like 4 million albums domestically, not yeah. internationally like today. Right. So you got BTS selling millions of albums, but it's, it's international. Mm -hmm. Right. So basically you're selling 4 million albums, you know, you know, like in like size of half, half of California, basically. Right? It's huge, right? It's huge. Yeah. It's yeah. huge. That means like every teenager had like 10 copies. Yeah. Right. So um, it, it was immense. And then, you know, when we came out, uh, you know, we were sort of like, I guess, um, you know, I, th I think the media too, they try to pivot us against each other kind of. Right. Blur like, oasis rival kind of yeah because yeah, yeah. you know sateji was kind of like rougher edged you know and, and we were kind of like the good boys from uh california <laughs> singing r&b and harmonies acapella right that kind yeah. of stuff and, yeah. uh so they try to like you know i think one newspaper even went as far as saying like oh like you know sateji is the satan's music and solid's doing the, the, the you know god's music you know this yeah. kind of stuff yeah so it's really fun you know it's all but, good publicity. Uh, yeah. It's all good music as well, though, isn't it? At the end result. Yeah, and, and what's cool is that, like, like we made our own music. Yes. You know, Sateji made his own music. Like yes. it was like, like oh, you know, everybody had this little competition of like, like who has the best sound sources, and mm. you know, like who, like we had these little secret recipes in the studios, and like everybody's kind of like trying to up each other in a friendly competition, right? So we had that going, you know, uh, and it's very different now because now it's kind of like kind of mass produced, really. Sure. Right. But like Sateji, like you heard his album and you heard him in the music. Yes. You know, and that's that's very, very different from what's going on now. Like, you know, and so if you listen to solid stuff, that was like basically me programming all those songs like myself in my bedroom. Right. So Love like it. so our DNA is in there, you know, so that I think that makes a huge difference agree it's original it's authentic and it's the performers actually writing and creating which is yeah which is so so key to it can i ask you like how at that time in the 90s how were you creating it like because there's i i don't think there's ableton or pro tools or things like that so was, <laughs> right what's going on when you're actually the physical process of creating that music yes i mean uh well you know we we have to like uh like buy computers and synthesizers and samplers and all that stuff so mm. like at one point my my room looked like a telephone company you know i had <laughs> racks and racks of stuff yeah in the walls uh, of synths and synthesizers and samplers and all this stuff so like what's interesting was that I, you know me being like this broke college kid you know like i didn't have money to buy really expensive gear mm. so i bought what was like accessible for me like affordable for me right so yeah i had these i had a setup that was like uh, i knew would work for me but it wasn't like the best okay <laughs> so like when we did our first album and we actually went out to korea for the first time uh like every production company like there's there's a major production company in korea uh, that kind of asked me into the office and kind of mm. interrogated me put me in a little room yeah and had a notepad and asked me to like list down everything that i'm using for my albums <laughs> like equipment you mean or, yeah yeah, yeah equipment okay. or you know everything so yeah i gave you know me being like this little kid i'm like okay you know i use this this this, this and that and then All next right. thing i know they have that exact setup 
set up in their studio. Wow. Right? So what's interesting is that my sampler it was like a thousand dollar sampler, and mm. they had like they had like a, a five thousand dollar sampler, and they all bought mine, thinking <laughs> that mine's gonna sound better, right? And you know my sampler is just it, it didn't sound very good, but like they they switched it all to this little cheapo that I was using, which was really funny. That's but, cool, uh, man. Your influences yeah. run deep, even in equipment. Then, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, like, because uh, I, th I think at the time, a lot of a lot of people knew our potential, mm. but because we weren't like commercially successful during our first album, I think they thought we were just gonna go home, really. right? So they just wanted to kind of like take whatever we had, like, uh, so, like, they, you know, um, I mean, one guy asked us, like, because we have this, uh, our rapper from our group has this iconic kind of eight ball cane that he uses for his yep. performances. Yeah. And then uh, another artist asked, like, yo, where'd you get that? And then, you know, us being like this, <laughs> like, oh, well, we just got it right over there in this tuxedo shop, right? And then, uh, you know, and the guy got it and put it on his album cover. Right. So like stuff like that happened all the time for us, like because we were like, uh, I think we sort of had uh, this whole uh, mentality of like, like uh, there's more where that came from. Right, 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 right. Right. So like you could take this, you could you could, you know, copy my setup. You will you will not get the same sound as us. Right. And uh, I think we, we were very confident in that. So we, we were very kind of like uh, generous with our information, <laughs> so to speak. I, I like that, though, because you can copy the equipment, you can copy the image, you can even copy the name, the chords, but you can't copy the person. You can't copy the experiences, where it comes from, the talent, right? Yeah. That's that's when we let that shine. If I So, like, you do that thing with, with Sodogy, you're selling four million records, you're smashing it in, in Korea, but you also write songs, produce songs for other people. Now, I was going through yeah. some of the, the list of these. Um, did you do Boa's 1999 Let You Go? uh i think so <laughs> just, that's so long ago <laughs> okay I, right. I, don't, I don't remember a lot of these songs i'm sorry like, uh, no it's uh, all right because I, I i was listening to a lot of the ones on your discography and that one in particular right it's got like arpeggiated acoustic guitar chords it's got this filtered wah-wah funk guitar it's got distorted power chords and really okay i need yeah. to listen to that <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a I, good song man you might like I, it <laughs> I, I don't i don't remember yeah I just remember uh, meeting her and she was like 12 years old or something. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, like, like, I've never seen anybody that young in a studio before. Uh, wow. Yeah, that's the first time. Yeah. 12 years old. That's incredibly. I young, think was, I think she was 12. or th I mean, she looked 12. Maybe she was like 13, 14. I don't know. But she was okay. really young. Uh, and yeah. That's... Yeah, she, she, yeah that, was, that was very interesting. It's a really good song. It reminds me of sort of, I don't know, Frushanti's work or something like that with the layered and different types of guitars. It's very interesting. I guess you also did stuff with like Om Jong Hwa, Dong Bang Shingi members, things like that. So yeah, in terms of that, I think what I, wanna, what I want to ask you is, are there any songs that you did that you're particularly proud of? Or are there any that you wrote that weren't as big as you thought they should have been. Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes the ones that you really like aren't the oh. ones that are successful. And how did? What's your take <laughs> on all that, Jay? Uh, again, like my memory is really bad, but uh, like I, I <laughs> yeah. remember I wrote a song. I wrote a song for uh, Jay. There's there's a singer named Jay in Korea, a female mm -hmm. singer. Uh, and um, you know, it was kind of like uh, I gave it to her, and it kind of ended up on a B side kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, and then and then so I. Uh, I gave that same song to a Taiwanese artist like a year later, and mm. that song went to number one. Wow. It was called it was called Cappuccino in in Taiwan, and that's like still one of like the most sung songs in in uh, karaoke is like, and it's been like over like twenty something years. Uh, that uh, so there's been cases where like like uh, it didn't work in Korea and it works in Taiwan or vice mm. versa. Like there's been many cases like that, but. Uh, um, and there's songs where I felt like, oh my god, like, like, and I, I don't, I don't like to reference my old songs very much because, like, when I, when I listen to it, I, I cringe. <laughs> yeah, I know the fit. Yeah, <laughs> right. So it's like, oh god, but um, uh, I think there's a song called Eight Three One Eight that mm -hmm. uh, Jay sang back in the day uh, that I uh, that I wrote, and I thought it was like, okay, whatever, you know. And that song actually uh, did really well in Korea. Uh, and uh like i hear about it ne like more these days about it but uh 
tell oh. tell me a bit about Jay then, this artist. You've mentioned a couple of songs there. Like, what was it like working with Jay? Jay, oh, she's great. Uh, so like, um, I'm like when I met her. Uh, that's when like, like, a lot more people were coming from the states into Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was one of like the I guess like the second wave after us. Yeah. Um, so like, uh, uh, there's a very uh, prominent music producer named Shim Sangwon. Yeah. Uh, he was the head producer of our album, and so he was like, "Hey, you know, there's this girl. She's from Virginia, and you know, she sings well. Like, do you, do you want to work with her?" I was like, "Sure." And um, so he kind of facilitated the whole thing, and you know, I uh, we became really good friends um, right away, and. Yeah, I think I worked on several songs for her uh, after that. Do you feel, is there, I don't know if this is going back to another thing, is there a greater ease or affinity working with Korean Americans than Korean, or it doesn't matter and music is music and the artist is the artist? Oh, I mean, like, okay, so like, like, uh, when I, when I work with a Korean American artists or American Mm. artists in general, like, I think they have a better view or vision of what where they want to go, mm-hmm. whereas the Korean artists, I feel like a lot oftentimes they're just kind of like like waiting for directions. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, so I mean, I mean, I'm generalizing, but I think uh, like it, like when I when I when I uh, like talk to like Korean American artists, they already have like uh, you know uh, maybe like a whole gang of references and things they heard over the months, you know, and something they want to do. Mm. They have this kind of like they have a lot of opinions of of where they want to go, right? Uh, whereas Korean uh, ones, you know, and I think it's just out of culture too, like out of respect for the producer. They're just like, hey, you know, like well, like I'm here, like you know, like like whatever you need, uh, I'll do, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like they they're kind of uh, they take directions very well, <laughs> which is really good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, they're kind of different in that sense. But yeah, I mean, if, like you said, music is music. Yeah. When you um you have this solid comeback, which was also really big, successful, two thousand eighteen, into the light. Yeah. When I went and listened to that, particularly the single, it sounds to me, and I might be wrong, but it sounds like it's going getting into that retro wave, that synth wave sound. That's yeah. been that's been really popular the last year or so. I know, like Acme, Actong Musician, they've leaned yeah. into that as well a lot. Were you, was that what you were going for? Yeah, uh, uh, there's a lot of that there. And we actually did it like two years before the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm asking because it's become really big, but you, you did it on that comeback. And I was like, Hey man, that's, that's the really big sound these days. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I've I've always been an eighties buff, you know? So, Uh uh, so like, it's something that I've always been into, uh, but like, at the time, I was like really getting into uh, like like a lot of the synthwave stuff that was beginning to take off, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I think uh, that had a lot of uh, influence on me at the time. But uh, you know, I've, I've always been about like 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 whatever it is, whether it's retro, you know, synthwave, whatever. Uh, like, there's always have always has to have this little funk element. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. So, like the song "Into the Light," if you hear the bass line, you know. You know, there's like this, like, uh, there's like this this underlying funk baseline, yeah, yeah. uh, and that's kind of like, I guess, if you're to define my sound, I guess that's it. Like, is uh, whatever it is, whether it's pop, mm-hmm. whatever. There's always like that funk element to the baselines. Did you play that baseline? Yeah, I played everything on it. Yeah, yeah, man, it's so impressive. What is just just before just to explore this. Some people might not know, and I was once asked to describe retro wave or synth wave, and it's always hard to describe music, right? Rather than listen to it. Yeah. But what What is that genre? What is that thing to you? So you described it as like eighties, but is from your yeah. mind, what is it, Jay? Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, w- w- I mean, eighties, you know, was like big on new wave and mm-hmm. all that's like you know even Italo disco and all that stuff. But, you know, I guess it comes down to the sound sources, right? So instead of using like, eight, like what we call like 808s or like the sample, like, uh, like, you know, sample drums off of vinyls and things like that. Mm. Uh, like, like we use eighties drum machines, like the Lin drums, you know, uh, mm-hmm. just like, you know, or, or like the rolling drum machines from back in the days, like from the eighties. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and a lot of the eighties sort of synth sounds like, uh, or since from the 80s 
So like the Oberheim, you know, like the Prophet Five and all those uh, old synths that we used back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. We tried to bring that back. Uh, so you hear, you hear a lot of those kind of sounds on the, the recordings. It's it's really cool. And it, it's interesting how that kind of nostalgia, that retro thing has become the new thing, became the modern thing, even though it's backwards looking. It was yeah. the new sound, right? Yeah. But you know what? What I really love about that genre is that like it's kind of like like a retro view like the way the retro viewed the future yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what i'm talking about it's like it's like yep. the way people in the 80s you know imagine the future right mm-hmm. yeah and i think i think that was there's so much imagination and all that right so if you watch like all those movies from like back in the day like of how they imagine the future that's how the music kind of is kind of like the soundtrack for that really yeah yeah. yeah, I agree. And it goes with the aesthetics, with the cyberpunk thing and all that. Yeah, it, yeah. it merges together to create this huge thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your what was your take on Into the Light? What was that comeback like? What was the, you know, your feelings oh. towards it, the response, how it was in Korea? Uh, I mean, uh, OK, so first of all, our fan base is kind of like our demographics. Mm. Our fan base is very unique because they're at the age of like, I guess, like upper 20s to like maybe 50. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, like a lot of our followers don't use the internet for social media. Right. So so it's, it was very hard to assess like how how many people would come to anything. Like, right? Yeah. So, so when we did our, our initial showcase to announce it, like mm. we, you know, we rented this huge venue in Itaewon, uh, and uh, like we're like, man, are, are people really gonna come, right? Because we haven't been out in what twenty three years. Were you nervous? Right? Yeah, yeah. And then so we're like, oh man. And you know, uh, on the internet, like there's like really no response mm-hmm. from people. So we're like, oh man, maybe for people forgot about us, right? So uh, and you know, and, and the day of uh, the, the showcase, hmm. it was completely packed. Like um, nice. There's people like lined out like down the block uh, mm-hmm. to come and see us. And so we were like really, really blown away and touched and all that stuff. And like and I think it was the same for the concerts. Uh, when we were talking with the concert promoters, we couldn't really assess how big of a venue to get because mm-hmm. we did not. You know, there's no way to keep a tab of uh, our, our demographic, yeah. uh, you know, like virtually. So, you know, we just kind of went conservative and uh, kind of went from went to kind of like a mid-tier venue mm-hmm. uh mid-sized venue and then uh like the ticket sold out like in less than five minutes man uh, so man. so we had we added more shows to kind of accommodate for for the rest but uh, it was it was awesome man i, I mean just you know like I, you know for me it feels like not that long ago because i don't know i guess I, i'm stuck in a time capsule but like mm. for, for everybody else it's been like 20 something years right yeah and uh the fact that they remembered uh and came out to see us it was, it was great um you know we had a great time uh, i think people had a great time coming to the show and yeah it's awesome does the does the solid fan but i I'm just curious about the solid fan base because as i said I, I spoke to loads of different people this week in korea in korean mm-hmm. about solid and what surprised me is like my brother-in-law who's a lieutenant colonel in the army knew solid and like solid the people at the radio station in the media companies knew knew solid and like solid like it seemed to go across a lot of different demographics which surprised me did the does the, does the fan base have a name is it like solids or oh uh, uh, solids <laughs> I, I don't know I, what's the... well it's called dillos like solid backwards oh, okay so okay right that was our fan that's our fan club uh they still t- exist dillos. till today excellent um yeah so yeah what's interesting was that we had a pretty wide fan base you know when we were out and active mm. you know fans like range from like i'm um, you know second grade kids to all the way to like, like adults right so um yeah uh like a lot of people in the rec- uh broadcasting stations and all that they really rallied for us too so they really liked us and wanted us to succeed and really like, kind of paved the way for us so mm. yeah much respect to uh, all the PDs and everybody out there. Yeah. Excellent. And to the Dillos, who I now know. Thank you yeah. for teaching me that. Yeah. Um, the the K-pop scene is huge at the moment, right? Like it, it's become this huge cultural phenomenon. 
what's your take on the current like k-pop scene any of the music or the groups are there any particular ones that are doing what you think is interesting music or doing things that you're uh, looking to and saying that's pretty cool or or not what's your take on it currently uh i mean i think there's like good and bad to everything right sure yeah <laughs> and i think uh I, i'm really happy about how korean music has progressed like internationally right so mm. uh you know and and like you know now that i'm here and back in the states like i don't have to explain this to record labels anymore <laughs> right yep. people already understand what it is and that saves us a lot of time and energy uh, which is great mm -hmm. uh and i think uh you know i i like have so much respect for guys like Pang Shiok and you know uh bts and all this blackpink mm -hmm. and bands who are going abroad and um really kind of like representing uh you know what what used to be a very small local market right yeah yeah and then i guess i mean you know uh, if there's a downside of it i think um it's kind of like what i was kind of mentioning before i think like i i like the forerunners i like mm -hmm. all of them like mm -hmm. you know uh, whether i agree with their music or not i always respect the forerunners the pioneers mm -hmm. right and it's always it's always like the 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 carbon copy ones that come afterwards that, <laughs> that saturate the market and kind of ruin it for everybody else right and i think it's uh, we've seen that during the disco era you know the glam rock era right like where, where you know like the forerunners are great right yeah. like Def Leppard was great and then you had like you know like a thousand glam rock bands in LA then it became saturated right so right. Uh, I think um, the market is quite saturated to be honest um, and I think um, like the forerunners I think uh, you know it, it may actually harm the forerunners uh, in in the long run by maybe possibly even creating a backlash out here in the states uh, uh, specifically because Record labels here are just known to do that, right? So, I mean, like, kind of like the late 90s when they had all the boy bands, right? Yep. And saying Backstreet Boys, you know, LFO, 98 Degrees, blah, 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 right. and then all of a sudden they're like, okay, no more, right? Mm. <laughs> so, so I think uh, K-pop is great, uh, you know, but I would like to see some variety, like more like depth and width to the mm. genre. Kind of like, I, you know, I, I always use the Latin music as an example, and I think um latin music was a, a great blueprint for any any you know international music coming into america mm. and it's that you know they didn't bring they didn't come to america with like 50 menudos right yeah <laughs> right they came here with one menudo yeah right and he came with like you know mark anthony and ricky iglesias you know like mm. there's like jennifer lopez it's like different different you know ricky martin like it, they came with variety and yeah. they came they came with their own sound they didn't have their music produced by, you know, like Timbaland or somebody. Right? They had their own producers make their own sound and bring it out here. And I think that was uh, groundbreaking. And I think Korea is on the right path because, you know, uh, like K-pop was like, you know, like I, I like the fact that Pang Shiok is actually like spearheading it as a producer as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and bringing it out here instead of like handing the kids over to like Timbaland or somebody like that. Right. To, sure. to make the beats and have them sound like everybody else. Uh, and I think that was really good that like K-pop sort of held on to its identity and not try to like assimilate too much. Right. And kind of, kind of stuck to their guns and stuck to what they're good at and they got recognized for it. So, um, you know, big ups to, uh, big hit and, you know, like YG and everybody that's doing that. Yeah. The success is real and genuine and they're achieving, uh great things you mentioned just there like the the boy bands and girl bands of the 90s and in england we had the the, the, the spice girls and take that and westlife and one direction it seems yeah. like the west has <clears throat> the west has stopped doing boy bands girl bands to an extent but now k-pop like as you say is quite saturated they churn them out do you have any views on that is there a reason why that's happening or are there boy bands and girl bands still happening in the west or what, what's happening I, there jay i think i think boy bands are always in demand it's just <laughs> you know i think i think when when the record companies like like really lead i don't know the the i don't know the pop culture it's it's mm. a disaster i think uh i think like there's always a demand for a good boy band yeah right and and america just wasn't putting out any lately and and k-pop sort of filled that void yeah you know i think uh i, I had k-pop come out here during nsync and backstreet boys days i think they would have 
maybe had more resistance. Mm -hmm. Right. But like right now, there's like, uh, you know, everything out here is like hip hop and rock basically right now. So like like having a boy band mm. where you could have like, you know, 10 plus members to choose from, you know, for the, for the young girls. I mean, that's always been the formula ever since the Beatles. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And like that, that'll never go away. I don't think as long as there's teenagers and, you know, it'll, it'll never die. And uh, I think America's just been sleeping on that for too long. And I guess Korea's had what, 20, 30 years of experience making these boy bands now. So the skill levels, the choreography, the production, the yeah. aesthetics, like the beauty of them, it's off the chart now, isn't it? Even going back to 15 years ago. Sure. Like, they've really polished it. Yeah. And also, I mean, you know, like, like in general, like the US, the music industry is sort of like scaling back their budgets. Mm -hmm. whereas, whereas like Korea is like beefing it up even more. Right. So like people know when they get prime content. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like versus like something made in their backyard. So like there's a difference in quality. I mean, just looking at these music videos, like you could tell, uh, you know, it's invested. Right. Yes. And that matters a lot to consumers. Like they feel like they're getting quality stuff for their money. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that has a lot to do with that as well. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And and perhaps it might change in the future that people might go back towards a more organic or bedroom sound or garage thing, you know, once the hyper real yeah. thing goes. Um, just perhaps to, to bring this to a close, what are you listening to these days as a producer, Jay? Like what's what's on your stereo? What's on your playlist? What's making your toes itch in the morning? <laughs> Man, you know, uh, on a daily basis, I listen yeah. to the classics, man. I I, I listen to mm -hmm. older stuff. Uh, Such as? Like, I, I'm a huge fan of Al DeBarge. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, of course, like Michael Jackson and Al DeBarge. But, like, I'm, 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 a, I'm a huge fan of that genre from, like, the early 80s mm -hmm. where, like, like funk kind of R&B musicians met technology, right? Right. So, uh, I... I listen to a lot of that stuff. Uh, you know, I, I I listened to like top 50 chart the other day mm. and I was like, oh God, I don't know. It's okay. It, <laughs> it's definitely not what it used to be. Right. So mm. uh, in my personal playlist, I have a lot of old, older songs. Uh, you know, I listen to a lot of like instrumental music, like, like fusion jazz kind of stuff, which is very uninteresting to teenagers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, then I listen to the usual like Kanye or Drake or, you know, uh, stuff like that but um and, and like i listen to uh kind of uh kind of like eclectic kind of uh like kind of electronic weird stuff uh and the way the best way i discover them is at clothing shops yeah <laughs> right so if you uh, mm -hmm. same thing if you're in korea and you're at like a, a zara's or something mm -hmm. they always play the best music and you sit there like oh my god i love this stuff and uh you know you just kind of like search it on your phone and then uh you make a whole playlist out of it that's it it's yeah, interesting. I feel like, yeah. Go on, sorry. Go. On. I feel like that's kind of like the uh, where the whole music is heading, really. Like, I mean, you know, the the commercial top forty charts is like, uh, I don't know, uh, I I don't know how to explain it, but I think to be sort of ahead of the curve, mm. I think um, playing to these alternative kind of like uh, playlists mm -hmm. is is the way to kind of innovate and kind of fuse new ideas to create something new, you know. So it's something that I, I like to do. I agree. And it's interesting that, you know, you're, you're listening back to old stuff. You're listening to obscure stuff. I do the same. I'm getting back into like 90s jungle and things like that. Weird oh, yeah. stuff. But awesome. Yeah. There's this there's this question. This might be the last thing. It might be a bit too beyond the topic. But there's this idea. Mark Fisher wrote about it, that there's been no musical revolutions for a while. Like that yeah. if you got music from the 50s, if you got little Richard Chuck Berry, took it back to the 30s, the people in the 30s would have lost their mind. They'd have been like, what is this? Yeah. And then if you got the Fuzz and, and Hendrix and Sabbath from the 70s, took it back to yeah. the 50s, people would not understand it. And yeah. so on with the arrival of punk and hip hop. But if you took yeah. music from today back to the 90s, people would get it that there hasn't been any big musical changes, technological. We have auto-tune and things like that, but yeah. what's your take on that, Jay? Are we sort of stuck in the same place or has music moved on? I think uh, I think music became sort of uh, one of many forms of entertainment now. Like, it's not like, 
you know, back in Chuck Berry days when you got one, like two TV stations, right? Yeah. Like now we got like cable and, uh, you know, video games and movies. And so there's so much you could do with $10 now that you couldn't do before, right? Yes. Or like if you had $20, the only thing you're thinking in your head is I'm going to go buy a CD, right? Now, now read you, it from front to back for two weeks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and now, you know, with, with $10, $20, you could do so many different things, right? So, I mean, music is... uh you know, uh, but one major thing that's different now than before is that mm. music has become international. Yeah. Right. So Korean music is being sold everywhere else. Um, that's that's the only difference. Uh, and other than that, I think like, uh, you know, just in terms of like the market size domestically, it's always been the same. Right. Mm -hmm. So like uh, now, you know, with with all the, uh, the international markets, Korea is selling like 10 times more than before but the demand has decreased 10 times so it's we're like even yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what i'm saying like yep i think that's how music's become like uh it's become so accessible but nobody nobody's like it's worth like one hundredth of what it used to be right so it's it's kind of evening out but uh you know some people are like saying uh market today is like worse than before or whatever but you know uh in, in terms of like revolutionized like like a revolutionary artist mm. You know, I think Justin Bieber is pretty revolutionary. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, 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 yeah. Props to him. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, if you look at like everybody else, you know, whatever, they might be like a bunch of one hit wonders or whatever, but somebody who's done it for like 10, 20 years, you know, Drake is pretty revolutionary. He's yeah. outsold like pretty much everybody in history, right? Like, you know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're iconic in their own right. It's just, uh, you know, I guess for people who've seen like people like Michael Jackson and Prince do it, like mm. it, it'll never satisfy us. <laughs> right. Possibly. But yeah, but I think for the for the youth, man, I think they make plenty of uh, uh, mark in their generation. So, yeah, I think it's still I think people are still creating revolutionary artists. That's a really good point. And I agree with you, though. It's important to see it through young eyes and, and people like Bieber are doing it is the same way that we might have looked at. Bowie or Prince or, or, or Michael Jackson. Interestingly, um, Bieber's Peaches song was huge over here about three or four months ago. Got to number one, which is kind really? of unheard of for a, a Western artist in Korea. Yeah. And they had a great time trying to translate it into Korean for the subtitles when he's saying, I got my weed from California. <laughs> yeah. they, they used they used experience. Kyonghom. California is or Kyonghom padaseo. Interesting bit of localization wow. of music. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's funny. Oh, I, I, I never knew that song was big out there. Yeah, no, it was huge. All, all the students, yeah, they're, they're loving it. It became big. Mm. Um, Jay, like anything else, any final points you want to make, mate, before we bring this to a close? Oh, no, I mean, no, just had a good time. Uh, you know, uh, if I could be of any help to uh, kind of like further K-pop into the future, you know, I, I would love to play the part and uh, contribute, so... Thanks for all the support.